Welcome to the Women Encouraged Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to share these conversations with Christians who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. I'm praying this episode is a blessing to you and that you'll be encouraged to apply the gospel to this topic and walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, friend, and welcome to the Women Encouraged podcast. Today, I'm really thankful to be sharing my conversation with Pastor Bo Cogbill. Bo is originally from Texas, but now he pastors the church I grew up in, and it's been a privilege to become friends with him and his wife, Rachel, and to get to know them a bit over the last year or so. In this episode, Bo talks with me about sin, which is a big and broad topic, but one that we wanted to cover as we approach Good Friday and Easter Sunday this week. If you're listening later, just know that the truths Pastor Bo covers here with us are not specific to Easter or Holy Week, but they really are things we as believers in Christ need to be reminded of over and over. We talk specifically here about what sin is, feelings of guilt, how Christians should be thinking about sin, our identity now, confession, and the Father's heart for us. Bo has so much encouragement for you in this episode, and we're praying it will be a blessing to you. We're always so grateful to hear how the Lord is using Women Encouraged in your life. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at Women Encouraged and on Facebook at the Women Encouraged page. Right now, we have a goal of reaching 200 patrons at $5 per month by the end of May, and we're offering several benefits for supporters of the show. Reaching our goal will mean that we'll be able to continue producing weekly podcast episodes, hire an assistant to help our Women Encouraged team develop content, and create additional content and develop resources for our listeners and community, both online and in person. Friend, we'd be so grateful if you'll prayerfully consider how you might be able to partner with us at $5 a month to continue the work we're doing here. You can find out how to support us through Patreon at patreon.com slash womenencouraged. Now let's get started with my chat with Pastor Bo Cogbill. Welcome to you, Mr. Pastor Bo Cogbill. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Would you introduce yourself for our listeners and just give us maybe a little snapshot of your life, your ministry, and um, maybe some of your testimony if you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, so my name is Bo Cogbill. Um, I am a native of Texas, um, did not grow up in the church. Um, the Lord was very, um, kind. Um, our family is not historically a Christian family. Um, and so, you know, kind of, you grow up with all of the, uh, sort of worst possible, (laughs) uh, things that, that Christians imagine. Um, I don't know if your readers are familiar with a book called Hillbilly Elegy. Um, but, uh, it is a, it's a good book. And so if you, if you read that and watch Sandlot, you can kind of get a, kind of get a background of where I'm, where I'm from. Um, the Lord was faithful, um, despite our unfaithfulness and brought me to Christ in, uh, Fort Worth, Texas about my, oh, I guess junior year. Uh, that's where I met my current wife, Rachel at TCU, uh, go frogs. Um, we have been married for 06, 07, 08, almost 12 years. And we have three children, Bailey Grace, who is eight years old, Sydney Noel, who is six years old, 
and Keller Justice, who is four years old. Um, started Westminster Seminary in Dallas about 2009, graduated with an MDiv in 12, kind of helped replant a dying church there in Dallas um, and brought her into the PCA around 2016. Uh, so ministered bivocationally there for um, really, I guess, what would that be? Almost nine years and then took a call last year in January to Reformation Covenant Church up here in Portland, Oregon. So um, quite a bit different than Texas, uh, particularly with the yeah. heat, um, but the people have been, uh, they've been really amazing. So it's it's been a blessing for us. Yeah, it's been great to get to know you and your wife um, a bit because the church you're pastoring is the church I grew up in. It's quite a bit different than the way it was when I grew up in it. So it's I'm just super thankful that, um, yeah, for all the things that the Lord has done there and that you and your wonderful wife, Rachel, are there and just so excited to keep getting to know you guys because it's a place that I go back to regularly enough that it's just very, very dear to me. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're beautiful people. They they really love each other and they love the Lord. And um, I can't imagine a better better group of folks to get to serve. It's it's wonderful. That's so great. So, um, like I mentioned to you before, we're going to be sharing this actually right before Good Friday. And so today we're talking about sin, and it's kind of seems like a a really basic topic to talk mm. about, but it is something that we can't just put by the wayside and be like, yeah, I know about sin. You know, we need to, we do need to be aware of it. We need to keep an awareness of it. And so um, as we get started in this conversation, would you just give us an overview of what sin is for the listener, maybe who doesn't understand Mm. that phrase and um, maybe talk about why it's so serious to God? Hmm. Yeah, I think um, that's obviously a very complex question, and it could go a lot of different directions. I think for me, um, early on in ministry in particular, um, there was a very legal element to sin. So um, as I came to faith, um, you know, a a friend of mine gave me a book that essentially walked through the Ten Commandments, you know, and up to that point, you know, as I was being introduced to the things of Christianity, you know, the extent of my knowledge was I was going to get left behind when Jesus came back, you know. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I, I, all I knew was I wasn't good enough to get, you know, caught up whenever Jesus came back. And and then, you know, my friend gave me this book on the Ten Commandments, and uh, it really hit me that it was, it was much worse than that. <laughs> not only was I not going to get raptured, I was going to go to hell. Um, right, right. So there was this legal weightiness to it. Um, you know, God as judge. And, you know, I think, um, I think that's a necessary way of, of looking at sin, uh, particularly for the non-Christian. I think for me, um, that true element of sin maybe carried over too much into my Christian life. Um, I was, I was very influenced by the Puritans early on and very thankful for them. Um, but I had a tendency toward a, a morbid introspection. And so mm. the legal weight of the law um, just really crushed me. Um, 
God thankfully has has grown me in an understanding of adoption and his fatherhood and the familial nature of salvation um, and our union with Christ. And so I think as a Christian, um, you know, that the legal element, I think, probably should fade to the background. Um, not that it's not there, but um, we have been declared righteous in Christ. And so now sin is takes on a more relational element. And so much like in your own family, sin is now a personal offense that creates distance, you know, between you. And I think that um, allows you to wrestle with sin in a way that um, God is still your father. He still loves you and you long to be reconciled in a familial way. So I don't know, again, that's kind of a long way around, but I, I, I think for sin, you know, one, it's sort of the legal offense against God, but then it's also the relational distance that's put between you whenever you do um, offend him personally. Right. And it, and like you were talking about it, because it is relational and it does damage, um, it doesn't just impact us and God, mm. it does impact more on a horizontal level as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Um, because it's not just me that sins, you know, you, right. you don't sin in a, in a vacuum. Um, right you know, but it does impact other people. And I think, you know, to that degree, I think that's another reason that it is, um, it is so serious because as image bearers of God, when we sin, we are reflecting him poorly, you know? And Mm, so as a father, when I sin against my children, I I don't ever cease to reflect the fatherhood of God. I can reflect it well, or I can reflect it poorly. And so when I sin against my children, I should be quick to point out, no, kids, this isn't how God is. This is how your sinful mm. father is. Please forgive me. I've, I've shown something about God that isn't true. Um, and I think it's the same way for husbands and wives and friends. And, you know, God presents himself in many different ways in the scriptures. And when we fail to live out his reflection, and um, we're we're actually communicating something false about him, and so that should also spur us on to holiness because we want to represent him well. Mm, that's so good. So, what about after we're saved? I mean, you talked a bit about what kind of had really sparked, and I guess maybe I should say pricked your <laughs> conscience about the legal weight of that. You you mentioned being declared righteous. So, can you help us understand what it means after we're saved? Are we still sinful? Um, what is that? How does sin impact us as believers? Yeah, I think it's really important, uh, particularly as Reformed people, we have the doctrine of total depravity that we affirm. And yet, um, we affirm that outside of Christ. That is not our identity in Christ. And so when Paul looks at the Christians and, and lists out the sins of uh, their former nature, he says, as such were some of you. Um, and so we do still sin, and yet we have a different nature. That's that's not what I. That's not our identity. Um, and I think I hope um, as we grow in maturity as Christians, um, not that we take sin less seriously, but we're less surprised by it, and so it doesn't send us into a spiral the way that perhaps it did early on in our faith. Um, you know, I think 
early on in our marriage, you know, when we would have um, discussions, <laughs> the the weight um, that they seemed to carry and, and the amount of angst that they caused um, seemed much heavier than perhaps it is now because there was so much pressure. Like, you're married, you want to be a good husband, you want to be a good wife, or, you know, you want to be a good parent. And when you fail, it just really, really hurts. Um, and I think there's some some self-righteousness there and that we think a little bit higher of ourselves than we should. Um, but as we go along in our Christian faith, um, we are more secure in that relationship. And so when my wife sins against me or when I sin against her, it's not this huge event anymore. Um, it's an opportunity to grow closer together. And I think as a Christian, mm -hmm. you know, as we grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, um, we are actually quicker to repent because we desire that uh, communion and that union again. Um, so we don't lash ourselves and whip ourselves and avoid prayer and avoid reading the scriptures or avoid gathering with God's people. Um, we're actually much quicker to repent. So hmm. I think that, you know, like anything else, it's it's up and down sanctification, but I think it is progressive. And so I think we can take heart in that, particularly as we see saints that are have been in the faith much longer than us to watch sort of a steadiness with which they pursue Christ. Um, I think that should help stabilize those of us that are younger and and may be tempted to despair a little bit more when we sin. Right. That's really good to hear. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that will talk about how they feel guilty. And when they do, they don't really know what to do with that. Like even after they repent, they they just feel guilty. They feel terrible. What are what should we as Christians, how should we be responding to those feelings of guilt? Um, what is that supposed to be doing for us? And that, like that, it seems like something that God built into us that, sure, or he yeah. just gives us this by his Holy Spirit that he's convicting us. But what is um, what's that role that the feeling of guilt plays for us? Yeah, I think I think, again, it can be good or it can be bad. Um, I think there's a degree that, you know, you can feel guilty as you should when you sin. And yet sometimes we hold on to that guilt as a way to um, sort of self-atone. I know that's something that I I particularly struggle with. Um, you know, I don't feel like God is ready to receive me until I feel bad enough. And so in some ways I can yeah. um, sort of wallow in that guilt until this unspecified time is passed. And then, okay, now I've, I've sort of punished myself enough to where I can go back into God's presence. Um, now I think there's a whole host of reasons for that. I think the way we grow up, the way we've seen reconciliation modeled, the way we've seen forgiveness modeled, I think, um, can impact us where we are, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me. Um, but you know, I think one of, um, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he said the whole of the Christian life is getting to know God as our father. And mm. so I think there is a godly guilt that we feel whenever we have sinned against our father. And yet the more we get to know him, he's not surprised, you know? So we don't come in and say, dad, I dented the car and he he's, goes off the wall and, and he's angry with us. 
Um, I think right. one of the beautiful things of the omniscience of God, and then also the fact that Christ paid for our future sins is, you know, we come into the house and say, dad, I dented the car. And he said, I know, son, let's figure out what to do about it. You know, and so I think his willingness to receive us, particularly when you see him sprinting toward his son who has gone astray, yeah. it should it should make us secure. You know, it, it should help us to um, feel an appropriate amount of guilt in that we've done something that hurts our father, but um, but to not ever doubt that he wants us to come quickly home and, and let's fix this, you know? And I think right. the fact that we are in Christ, it is fixed. And so now what does it look like to experience that? Um, and I think we can help each other as Christians as we model that, not if someone sins against us, kind of like we were talking about earlier, if if I reflect forgiveness poorly as a member of Christ's body, I'm now communicating something about God. And so right. the better we do at modeling forgiveness, the better our brothers and sisters get to understand how God forgives. That's so helpful. I think it's really good. I have a, I have a hard time with, you know, believing that God loves mm. me. That's one thing that I have struggled with since I can remember. Yeah. And I don't know why, you know, I think, like you said, there could be various reasons for that in our lives and how we respond to guilt, how we respond to forgiveness and that kind of thing. But um, just thinking about this is really helpful to me, especially leading up to, you know, Good Friday and really wanting to reflect on what Jesus did for us at the cross. And so what is, what did he accomplish then for us at the cross? You know, when, when we give that sin to him, when we lay that at the cross, what does he do with it? What is, what does the Lord do for us with that? Yeah, I think it's um, it's quite it's, it's always been somewhat puzzling to me that we would call Good Friday good. Um, you know, when you really see the greatest injustice that's ever happened in the face of the earth, and then we say, "Hey, this is Good Friday." I think that speaks volumes to what He did for us. It's good for us, and so I think what we see Him accomplishing there, you know. Um, sort of to back up a little bit, I, I think I used to look at the cross as sort of Jesus's way of getting in between us and God and saying, no, no, yeah. you know, I know you're really mad, but remember I died, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But what we see him doing is actually accomplishing the will of his father for us. Right. And so, you know, I think we, we see in John three people talking about, you know, believe that he came to save, you know, those who believe. But really what we're seeing is it's the father who sent him, you know? And mm, so yeah. again, you know, I know I'm sort of coming back to the same theme of the fatherhood of God, but you know, that's what we see there at the cross is we see essentially the rescue mission that the Trinity accomplishes for us. And so when mm. we, when we go there, we don't just see Jesus's love. We actually see the love of the triune God for us. And as those who have been adopted into his family, we now have the Holy Spirit who, um, who indwells us, who is in his church. And so we can, I think one of the important things about having confession every Lord's Day is we bring our sins to God. Um, we don't just bring them to the cross. You know, I think Bunyan and his work, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, as, as wonderful of, of a book as it is, you know, he brings his sins to the hill and then they fall in the sepulcher. 
Um, you know, but we're bringing our sins to God and he's saying, child, I love you. I forgive you. Come and eat with, you know, so that's where we take our sins. We take it to our, to our father. That's so good to hear. Thank you. Um, you, you kind of touched on this about corporate confession. Um, what, why are those things important, you know, corporate and personal confession? How do those impact the way that we look at sin and forgiveness? What are those, what is the role of that for us? And would you also explain what it means to keep short accounts with God? Yeah. So I think it's important for us, um, particularly as Christians that tend to live, um, save the last, you know, couple months, you know, pain-free, suffering-free lives. Um, and so I think for us, particularly as Christians in the West, uh, Christianity can be one purely of victory, purely of crown, purely of resurrection. But that's not the entirety of the gospel. Um, there is crown, but it's crown after cross. There is resurrection, but it's resurrection through death. And so I think for us, if we forego confession, um, over time, we can forget a vital element of the gospel, and that's that we are sinners in need of grace. Um, you know, I think, I think in, in recent time in particular, um, the Christian world, particularly in America, has done a good job um, emphasizing that the gospel isn't just for the non-Christian, the gospel is for the Christian as well. And so in confession, you know, corporately, we're saying, look, you know, we're in this together. Um, we don't just sin as individuals. We sin corporately um, in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And so when we confess that together, we're saying we're in this together. And so when I look to my left and when I look to my right and my brother sins against me or I sin against my sister, it shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't rock us to our core because we've just confessed that every week. Mm. <laughs> we're saying we're Christians. And when we say we're Christians, we mean that the eternal son of God had to take on flesh, live a perfect life that we should have lived, die the death that we should have died in order that we might be saved. And so when we confess, we're reminding ourselves of who we are and then who Christ is for us, one at a corporate level in that he saves the church, but then also at the individual level that he saves the individual. Um, I think we can sort of ricochet back and forth between, you know, overemphasizing the individual or overemphasizing the corporate. So whenever we bring both of those elements together in confession, um, I think it it gives us the proper balance that we see in God's word. Hmm. So I I really appreciate this thinking about this because I've had a lot of conversations lately with people who feel like they can't figure out the right balance between individual confession, corporate confession, and and how this changes and impacts the way they see their own sin and their own ongoing struggles. So in terms of the besetting sins or the things that we feel like we struggle with the most, how should we as believers in Christ be thinking about these besetting sins in our own life? I mean, my first thought when I say that is just like, put it to death, put it to death. But that feels in one sense to me, um, like I'm working extra hard. How do I walk in step with the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh and put to death the besetting sins in my life and still 
understand that God forgives me. Um, can you speak to that? Yeah, no, I, I think for, that's one of the bigger things, you know, as a pastor, you know, particularly with people that have a sensitive conscience, they can get so crushed um, by besetting sins. Right. Um, so I, I think the first thing that I want to encourage them is to be patient. Um, you know, God has been very patient. You know, you see it in really in redemptive history, uh, the fact that he would wait 4,000 years for you to be born, that he might save you. Um, that's patient. Um, you know, that mm. Jesus would walk 33 years on the earth or 30 years before starting his ministry, three years of teaching, 40 days of temptation, three days in the grave. You know, so you you, you see a timeness with God that um, if we do believe in his omnipresence, he is more present in every moment than we could ever imagine. And so time for him, you know, I think some people would say, oh, well, let's step back and look at time. Well, God doesn't experience time. He's outside of time. And it's like, yes. And he's also inside of time in such a way that it's, you know, a thousand years is one second for him. And so when he looks at the broad scope of history, um, and then when he looks at your life, he's patient with you. Um, and he's more patient with you than you could ever imagine. So rest in that. Um, but then also, you know, I think you hit it when you, you know, you, you mentioned being able to walk by the spirit. Yeah, John Owen in his work, Mortification of Sin, in The Believer, you know, um, he's famous for saying, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I think that's very important, you know, as far as yeah. continually fighting against sin. But what what often I think gets left out in his book is vivification. So mortification, yes, and and we spend a lot of time mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Um, you see groups popping up to to fight specific sins, and I think those are fine. Um, but I think what often gets left out is vivification. So coming to life by the Spirit. So yes, you're putting to death deeds of the flesh. Yes, you're taking off sin. But then you're also putting on virtues. Um, you're coming more and more to life. And you're learning to love the things that God loves, not just hate the things that he hates. And so, you know, whenever you are prone, you know, for men to lust, for example, it's like, oh, I can't lust. Oh, I can't lust. Oh, I can't lust. Yes, that's true. But are you putting on love? You know, are you learning to um, stop objectifying and seeing, you know, this woman or this man as an object in your kingdom and beginning to see them as a subject in God's they don't belong to you. And so growing in love for that person or somebody who's prone to gossip, you know, oh, I got to stop gossiping. I got to stop gossiping. Well, start speaking well of people, you know, focus on the things that you are called to put on. And I think if you can sort of combine uh, that steadfastness and that patience with what am I also going to be putting on to replace these deeds that I'm taking off, I think that's when you kind of start to see um, more victory over sin. Um, and, and kind of going back to the idea of, of Christ's finished work, um, you are no longer a slave to sin. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, again, as Reformed people, we think, oh, I'm just so sinful. Yeah, but you don't have to be. Um, and I think a lot of people that can help. Mm. 
yeah, maybe not for a lot of people, but for me, it was a sort of an epiphany moment. Like, oh, I don't have to do this. Christian liberties, right. I'm free to obey. Oh my goodness. So there's really this breath of fresh air that comes with understanding that you don't have to do that anymore. You're freed to obey. Hmm. Whenever you're trying to encourage a, a brother or sister in Christ, I know you function primarily as a pastor when you're one-on-one with somebody, but if it's just you mm-hmm. and a friend and they are really feeling maybe down on themselves or really struggling, or they maybe they even just want to um, just experience freedom from sin, how would you encourage them to um, to look at themselves and to look at the Lord? Yeah, I think, um, and this may be, you know, sounding like I'm overemphasizing the corporate nature of salvation, but I, I really think the church is so important. Um, just the presence, being with God's people. Um, you know, I think of, there was a guy I was meeting with the other day and um, he's like, I just don't know if I believe this. And, you know, the response is, well, let us believe for you. Hmm. You know, um, there really is a sense in which you, we keep coming back to this. Hopefully it's helpful. Um, <laughs> but um, this is your new family, right. you know? And so our culture is such a culture of instant quick fixes. We have keto diets and we have Amazon Prime, you know, mm. one day shipping and amazing things. But that is not the instruction. You think of James, he says, look at the farmer who sows. Mm-hmm. He's patient. He has to wait for the early rains and the late rains. And so I think for us in this just super fast paced culture, we can really short circuit um, our entire lives by thinking that God needs to be moving faster or I need to be moving faster. Um, And so we can look to all sorts of things to try to speed it up when in reality, um, God has given us such simple, ordinary grace. Um, You live life together. You eat meals together you pray together, you worship together, you go to the park together, um, and you'll look up 40 years from now and you'll be more like Jesus together. Mm. Um, and I think I think it is a, a super beautiful thing to watch saints desire for holiness, and yet it breaks my heart sometimes whenever they get crushed because it's not moving as fast as they wish it would. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I, I just stay the course you know, faithful endurance, let's do this together. Um, I think if, if you do that, um, the payoff will be worth it. The fruit may grow slow, but it will, it will taste sweet. Mm, yeah. So this, Bo, this conversation has been such an encouragement and a blessing to me. So thank you very much. It's just um, been a real, just a, an opportunity to reflect on God's bigness and how he loves and, and forgives and works mm-hmm. in us. So thank you so much for being here. Um, one last question that I ask every guest. Can sure. you share something that the Lord has been using in your life lately to encourage you in your walk with him? Hmm. Well, the sun is coming out. So nice. uh, <laughs> after three months of gray, um, right. the sun. Um. You know, honestly, with all of the, um, I, I I tend not to like to talk about immediate concerns or, or bow to the tyranny of the urgent, but um, with all of the 
um, scare going on right now in culture with the disease and the sickness and everything, you know, getting shut down. I think um, the primacy and the, the satisfaction of corporate worship has really been something that's been on my heart lately. And, mm. you know, even as last week we had, you know, less folks there because people are nervous and scared. Um, it really made me thankful for the ability that we do have to gather with the saints of God yeah. every Lord's day to rest in him, to partake of his sacraments. Um, you know, there, there's so many brothers and sisters across the world that do not have that privilege. Um, and so it's made me want to um, fight for it even more when I have it to enjoy it. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, that's that's really been where my my heart has been over the past couple of weeks is that the privilege we have to worship God is not only our highest duty, but also our, our highest delight. Yeah, so good. So true. And it's been, I think it's on so many people's minds and hearts right now is, you know, we're right now it's just the middle of March while we're talking about this and things are, the border has now closed between U.S. and Canada mm. and and. People are being encouraged not to gather more than fifty people in a room or in yeah. a, in an area, and and it just. I really hope and pray that what this does for the church is makes us long for Christian community even more. That Amen. this will be a, a reason to hunger and thirst for that, and and to hunger for that reflection of uh, Jesus's body um, right mm. in front of us. You know. You know, I not to. You know, I don't want to un, un, unwrap what you're wrapping up, but you said something earlier about um, struggling, believing God loves you. Mm -hmm. um, I I empathize with that. I think it's easy to look out at the congregation and tell them that God loves them. Yes. You know? <laughs> and as I'm talking to you, I have no doubt God loves you. Yep. <laughs> and yet... <laughs> <laughs> in that same breath, like, yeah, but what about me? Yeah, absolutely. You know? I have that problem constantly where I'm constantly too. telling somebody, I, you know, God loves you. And then in the, in the back of my head, I'm like, but I'm not quite sure about me. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I think on the one hand, it's because we know our hearts the way that nobody else does. Right. Um, you know, but then I also think that's the offensive nature of grace. Okay. I think, I think we want, or I don't want to impart my own sins on you, but no, I right. want there to be something in me that's lovable. Mm. And so if, if it is all, you know, I think back, I want to say it's in Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, but um, he's talking to this woman who is, is not a believer and she's highly offended about Christianity and she tells him she doesn't want to believe. Right. And he says, well, well, why not? And she said, well, if, if salvation is, if what you're telling me is true and salvation really is all of grace, then there's nothing he can't demand from me. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and so I think, you know, I think for me, if there is something in me that's sort of innately lovable, it sort of gives me my own sort of autonomy and control. And, right. you know, but if, if it really is, no, God loves you as, as we hear in Deuteronomy 7, he loves you because he loves you. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I mean, what does that, that really has to turn you inside out. Yeah. Um, it really lays you bare and, and doesn't let you hold on to any 
form of self-righteousness or even the self-righteousness that says my sin is greater than than the cross of Christ. <laughs> I think mean, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, if you, if you, you know, I struggle with dark times and, you know, you're in the dark night of the soul and you open up spiritual depression, you're like, oh, he's going to be really gentle with me. And, he, you know, he starts the book and he's like, yeah, you know, you're depressed because you think that, you know, you're, you're actually more prideful than you imagine because you think your sin is bigger than Jesus. And you're like, wait, I thought, I thought you were going to be nice, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think for me, that's the case. You know, I think sometimes it's a, it's an unbelief that my sin is bigger than Jesus. And that is not true. That is yeah. so not true. And, and he loves you because he loves you. So that is actually the perfect note to end on. So thank you for, yeah. for tacking that on the end. That's great. Thank you very much. Yeah, for it's been sure. Good Maybe to have you here, Bo. Um, <laughs> looking forward to sharing this with our listeners and I'm so thankful for your words of encouragement and conviction. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I'm, I know that um, so many of our women have been blessed by y'all's ministry and I think we need more and more of this. You know, I think what I shared with y'all whenever uh, you were down here is, you know, one of the first things that Paul encourages Timothy to do is to make sure that the women are are serving one another and ministering to one another. Um, he's a young pastor, and I think all pastors really need what, what y'all are seeking to provide. And so I know that our women are thankful for you. And as a pastor, I'm, I'm super thankful for you and, and continue to pray and hope, hope that you guys uh, will come back soon. Thank you, Bo, very much. It's It's been good to work with you guys. And yeah, super thankful to have you on our team and to, yeah, just be on Team Jesus together. <laughs> yes, amen. Sounds good. Okay, take care. All right. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul explains that because Jesus died for us and we are in him, then we too have died and been raised to new life in him. He says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Sister, when you feel guilt or when your heart condemns you, remember, as John says in 1 John 3, that God is greater than your heart. God's grace is bigger than your sin. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you confess that sin to the Lord, remember that he certainly accomplished what he set out to do on his rescue mission. You have been reconciled to God through Christ so that you can live for Jesus. Your trespasses are not counted against you any longer. Jesus took all our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And now you've been made an ambassador for Christ. Go tell the good news.